Hey, good morning, Victory. How you doing? Come on, let me hear you. Look, I, I know it's only been one Sunday, but I missed you. I'm glad to be back here and glad to have us back together. Uh, if you are visiting, my name is Troy. My wife, Darla, and I get the absolute privilege to pastor the church, and uh, we just love that you would choose to spend your Sunday with us. And as Betty Jo and Brian said, we'd love for you to get connected so that we can reach out and uh, be able to help you take some of those next steps. One thing that I want you to take attention to that's new for us in 2024 when you walked in was our announcement wall that we have, and there's all kinds of information on there from dates you want to save to one of my favorite thing are QR codes for resources. Uh, so last year we, we, we purchased and gave to our church Ramsey Plus, a free subscription to help you financially. Come on, yeah, we can give God praise for that. Be excited about that. Uh, and so there's a QR code for that as well as right now media and a Bible app that you're going to hear me talk about towards the end of the message today. But there's dates and resources and everything you could possibly need or want on that wall. And so uh, throughout your, your even today or throughout the next couple of weeks, go by there, read it, check it out. Uh, you will not be disappointed. At the beginning of every year since we've started the church, we get together and we, we present a, a word for the year. Um, it, not every sermon goes kind of in parallel with that particular word, but it sets a tone for what we're doing this year. And, and I really feel like it kind of helps, you know, hear the voice of God and direct us in every area. And every year, every year, I remember one year the word was shift, which happened to be 2020, and boy, did we shift. Um, uh, last year, our word was rebuilding, and, and I've never been more excited about a word than I am this year. And it's not just the word, but it's the process in which we're going to arrive at the word. And so I want to share that with you. The word, just so you know, is the word greater. That, that's our word for 2024, greater. And I want to make sure you understand what I mean by it. Uh, one side, it's a two-sided coin. It definitely means greater marriages, greater financial situations, uh, greater mental health, all, all these things that we would want to be greater or greater. But I also believe that it could mean that we're going to experience greater spiritual warfare and greater hardship. And so it can kind of go both ways. And the principle on how we're going to get there, it's great because it, does, it covers both. And here's the way we're going to get there. I believe this year, more than ever, we need to have greater Bible engagement, okay? We need to be in our word more than we've ever been. We need to be soaking in it, just you know, overflowing with it. And watch this. If, if, if it's about greater marriages and greater financial situations, the word tells us how to get there. If we're going to experience greater hardship, the word is our shield. And so whether it's greater this or greater that, the word and having greater engagement in the word is what we need for both. Amen? And so you're going to hear me talk about that today. The next couple of weeks, uh, next Sunday, I'm going to share with you what I believe are the enemies of greater. Uh, and then on that last Sunday, the 21st, which is our sixth birthday, come on, put your hands together. Uh, it's going to be an awesome time celebrating together, but we're going to kind of move an action of where we actually identify what we're asking God to make greater in our lives in 24. And then start a brand new series on the 28th that's going to coincide with. It's just going to be a great marriage conference, as Betty Jo mentioned. It's just going to be a lot of great things happening over the next couple of months. This word is not just a single word standalone, but there's also a verse, two verses technically, that go with it. I want to read those to you now. It's Joshua chapter 1, verse 7 and 8. I'm going to, I'm going to come out of Joshua a lot over the next couple of months. It's been my personal study over the past a quarter or so, and just some phenomenal stuff has come out of that. Um, you may be very familiar when he says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And that's going to be a great foundational over for the next couple of months. But Joshua chapter one, verse seven through eight, he says, be careful 
to obey all of the law that my servant Moses gave you. And so obviously he's referring to the first five books of the Bible at that time, but he's, re- he's saying the Bible, the word of God, uh, obey all of the law that my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left. Stay focused on it and that you may be successful wherever you go. So if you stay focused on the word, you don't go off to the right or go off to the left, you'll be successful wherever you go. He goes on to say, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Always have it ready to talk about it, to quote it. And this is the part I really like. And meditate on it day and night. I'm going to go through that meditation aspect a little bit later in the message. Then he goes on to say, so that you may be careful to do everything that's written in it. So when you meditate it day and night, it'll, it'll influence you to do what you read. And then watch this. Then you will be prosperous and successful. And I believe that's what that is, that greater in our life. And so this first Sunday, this first message to start back is just titled simply this, the first step to greater. How you and I get there. What is, it, what is that first step? Because everybody wants it, but where do I begin? According to researchers, they suggest that 63% of Americans will make a New Year's resolution. That there will be something in their life that they are looking back on 23 and they want it to be better in 24. And so we do this weird thing where we kind of make a commitment that we're going to do better, even though we couldn't do it in 23. Now, all of a sudden, we're going to be able to be super strength because a number changed at the end of the day. But we make these resolutions and next week I'll share with you how successful they are, which, you know, spoiler alert, they're not. Um, <laughs> but we make these resolutions and this, this research that I was reading, it said there were three most common resolutions. Uh, I'm not going to give you to them an exact number, but these are the three common, most common resolutions. Number one was to have greater mental health, okay? To be able to have a better mental health in the new year. Number two was to have better financial health. And then three would have been to have better physical health. So people wanted to be able to, you know, have a better mind. They wanted to be able to have a better financial situation or a better physical situation. And those were the top three in, in again, no specific order. What I did think was funny was at the very, very bottom of the list, the least uh, popular resolution, the one that very few people make was to do better at their job. <laughs> so, you know, we just let you know how we're operating in our world today. But the truth is this, that anytime we make resolutions, it's because there is something in our life, there is an area that is not squaring up. There there is a gap between what we expected it to be and what we're actually experiencing. If you are a follower of Jesus, you might say it like this, there's a gap between what the Bible says and what I'm actually experiencing. For example, the Bible says that I'll be prosperous, but I'm not. The the Bible says that I'll have unspeakable joy, but I don't. The the Bible says that I'll have supernatural peace, but I'm full of of anxiety. The Bible says that my marriage will be healthy, but it's not. My Bible says that my kids will not depart from the word, but it seems like they are. You know, there's some type of situation where what the Bible is saying and what we're actually experiencing are not adding up. And so we find ourselves in a way that would lead us to go, I'm going to make a resolution. And it made me wonder that what if God is greater than we're actually allowing him to be? And what if he wants to do greater things in our life than we're actually allowing him to do? And I think the danger of not asking yourself this question is that at some point you sit back and you settle, watch this, for good enough. It's good enough. How's your marriage? It's good enough. How's your financial situation? It's good enough. 
And over time, as we allow ourselves to sink into that good enough, watch this, eventually our passion for God fades out. Our marriage grows stale. Our dreams become distant. And over time, every area of our life is labeled as good enough. And eventually we find ourselves in a very unhappy place. And so I want to challenge us this year to not settle for good enough. Don't settle for it. Instead, lean into the greater that God promises us. Because I do believe this. Listen, for a believer in Jesus, for a follower of Jesus, baseline living is not okay. It's not okay. I, I looked over my life as 2023 was coming, or looked over my year as 2023 was coming to an end, and I was so blessed. I look at my life and see all of God's hand on my life, and I am, I'm proud to say I'm not baseline living. And I don't think any of us should be. So how do we do it, right? How, how do we get to greater? Here I am, I'm, I'm, I'm encouraging you that this year you might have a greater marriage or a greater financial situation or greater peace or a greater walk with the Lord or your kids will experience a greater life. Like, how do we get there? And that's what today is. It's the first step. I told you we're going we're gonna to dig into this over the next couple of weeks, but, but the, the way we get there, watch this, is actually pretty simple. I, it, it's complex in some ways, and, and for some reason we don't often do it, but it is actually very simple. Here's how you and I take our first steps to greater. We read the Bible and do what it says. There it is. All right, everybody, let's go home. Let's go get lunch and call today. It's that simple. You're thinking like, man, your job is easy if that's what you came up with. Yeah, yeah, two weeks to study and that's what you came up with. But, but it, it, it's, it's life-changing. It, it's transformational. It, there's promises throughout the Bible of greater in every area of your life. If we will read it and we will do what it says, it will change us. That's what Joshua was saying. Now let's go to James chapter 1. And he's saying the same thing. Watch this in, in chapter 1, verses 23 through 25. He says, do not merely listen to the word. Don't just be in here this morning and hear it and then walk out and leave everything that we talked about in here. Because if you do that, watch this, you deceive yourselves. For you to just hear the word and not do what it says, you deceive yourselves. I, I, I thought about it like this. It's like you buying a gym membership, but never going to the gym, right? You, you deceive yourself if you think all of a sudden you're going to get healthy because you have a gym membership. You have to actually go. You know what I mean? And this is what James is saying. You, you can't just listen to the word. You got to, when he says it right here, you got to do what it says. He goes on to say, anyone who listens to the word, but doesn't do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror. And after looking at himself, he goes away forgetting what he looks like. Now I'm going to address that at the end of the message. He says, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law, the word of God that gives freedom and continues in that word of God, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing what they've read. Watch this. They will be what? Blessed in what they do. Now, either you believe the word of God or you don't. And after two verses or four verses that we've read from James and Joshua, they have both said that if we read the word of God and do what it says, we will be successful, prosperous, and blessed. That tells me that my life will be greater if I will read the Bible and do what it says. 
Amen? Amen. God has a, a greater plan for our lives. And all we, have to, all, we, all we have to do is read his Bible and do what he says. But how will we know what to do if we don't read it? Right? I know that for a lot of people, the problem is putting it into motion. But we won't even know what to do if we don't start by reading it. At some point, we have, like, like, you know, there are, I think there are thousands, I don't have the exact number, I preached on this probably a year and a half ago, but there are thousands of promises from God in the Bible that you could walk out of here today and proclaim, walk, believe, pray, but if you don't know them, then how can you expect them, right? If you don't know what God's promised you in regards to your finances, then how can you do anything to be able to experience it? If you don't know what God's promised you about your marriage, then how can you ever do anything to experience it? If you don't know what God's promised you in regards to your children, what God's promised you in regards to your career, what God's promised you in regards to your mental health and your peace and your joy and your love and your dreams, then how can you go out and experience it if you don't even know about it? Right? The benefits of reading the Bible, please listen to me, go way beyond obtaining knowledge. Now, obviously, when we read the Bible, we obtain knowledge. But if you're anything like me, when I first got saved and I'm sitting in the sanctuary and my pastor is preaching from the Old Testament, I have no idea what he's talking about. And I have no idea why I ever need to care how many times they walked around Jericho. You know what I mean? Like, when's the last time you used the word Jericho? So like you're hearing these things going, I don't, you know, I don't, if, if you think all it is is about you obtaining knowledge, so at some point you can be in JBQ and be like, boom, they walked around seven times. You know what I mean? Like if, if you think that's what it's about is just the knowledge, while it is the knowledge, that's not the secret. What it does, the goodness of it moves you towards a relationship with God. But watch this. It equips you for the greater that God has planned for you. This is, this is what blows my mind. We're going to go off the road for a minute. That my God loves me so much that when it comes to my financial place in life, God wants greater for me. When it comes to my relationship, let's start with marriage, God wants greater for me. My kids, God wants greater for me. My career, God wants greater for me. My peace of mind, God wants greater for me. And he's already promised it and already given me the pathway in which to be able to experience it. That's incredible, y'all. And what we do is we do ourselves a disservice by not studying it and reading it and not knowing how to obtain it. And so we walk around asking other people how they get it. Or reading, you know, how to live life for dummies books and whatever we can do, trying to find a shortcut in a way to greater when God says, I've already told you if you'd read this and do this, you'll experience it. I was... Uh, reading this, this study that was being done that said that since 2020, so over the past two, three years, 26 million people have stopped reading the Bible. Is that scary or what? I mean, our world was messed up, you know, five years ago when 26 million people were reading the Bible, you know what I mean? And now they've stopped reading the Bible. And so I'm reading it, trying to figure out why, what the reasoning, and he had a couple different reasons. One of them was people were saying that the Bible did not transform their life like they hoped it would. So I'm going to come back to that in case that's you. 
But here was another interesting thing he said. He said he believed it coincided with 2020 and the lack of church attendance. Because once 2020 hit, all of you remember that, we were closed for 11, 12 months, and people stopped attending church as frequently. It kind of went from being what you did to not so much what you do anymore. And he said that there was something about church that when you and I come to church on a, on a, you know, on a weekly basis, between being around believers and being in the presence of God and hearing a sermon preached and opening up our Bible for the Bible study, all these different things, it, it keeps it in us naturally to want to study our Bible, want to read our Bible. So as church attendance fades, so does reading our Bible. And you don't need to raise your hands, but I think you would agree with me that the more you find yourself outside of church, the less you read your Bible. I found that out, okay? In case you don't want to tell the truth, I'll tell you. That happened in my life. Every season of my life where I quit going to church this month, I quit reading the Bible. And so he, he's making that comparison. I was like, I totally get it. I agree with him. I think he's right. But I want to add this. I think for years now, and if we wanted to get real serious, probably since the beginning of time, you know, but, but for years now, our culture has been moving us away from the Bible being priority. I could make it as, as extreme as the fact that we took prayer out of school, and you, I don't even think you can bring Bibles into schools anymore. Like, like I, even, even that, that was kind of the obvious ways that we're kind of moving our culture away from that. But I, I think there are even kind of disguised ways that are good but not great, that, that can be good enough, but they're not great. For example, and don't, look, don't get at your seat and run after me or chase me because I'm about to diss something that at the end of the service I'm going to tell you to do. But... Just hear me out, okay? I think that over time, these, these one-verse devotionals that are out, these like verse for the days, that over time what's happened is we've, we've convinced ourselves that that's good enough to replace the word consistently and to meditate on the word. The problem with that is you don't know the context of that verse. You don't know who said it or why they said it. And, you know, you're reading, you know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me. And, you know, you're like, I'm ready to go. And you have no idea that the author is talking about, I can suffer, is what he's saying. And you're like, oh, wait a minute. I ain't quoting that verse no more. <laughs> and that's the danger of like a one verse devotional, why it's great. And if you're doing it, do it. I'd rather you do that than do nothing. But the danger of, of, of us believing that because we do, how about this? No, dang, I want to say that, but I'm saying it. All right. <laughs> Just remember, I thought about not saying it, okay? For all of you married folks, all you men, if your wife said, from now on, all we're going to do is kiss for the rest of our marriage, would you be okay with that? We got a bunch of lying men in this church. If, if, if all it is is one verse versus the whole thing, you know what I mean? I told you all I shouldn't have said this. But you get my point. Like, like it, it is, it's good enough. It's good, but it's not great. So it's okay to do it if you got a busy day and you can, and that's all you can do. Good, but don't let it replace meditation in the word of God. Don't let it replace time where you're digging and diving into the scripture and asking yourself, why did God say that? And who did he say it to? And here's the best part. What does that mean for me? I think we've stopped making the word a priority. I, yeah, some of y'all remember you had a grandma who, who would get up hours and hours in the morning and read the Bible. They'd have the Bible on, on, the, on the table beside the couch, and you couldn't touch it. You couldn't even look at it wrong. Don't you touch it. Don't you sit on that Bible. And, and we've moved to a place now, and some of it's because it's on our phones, and it, you know, that mixes into an app. And, and you know, The devil is very smart, very, very, very slick. I'm not telling you that it's wrong to read your Bible on your phone. Please don't get up here and leave and say, I hate Steve Jobs. I'm just saying... That, that in the process of all of that, it can replace 
And so we're reading a verse a day that has no context, and watch this, has no transformational power versus being in the Word. Joshua said, meditate on it day and night. That word meditate, when you take the Hebrew version of it and you start looking up the definitions, one of the definitions for it is to chew the cud. Now, for those of you that aren't farmers, don't know how many farmers we got in here. I'm, I'm not. Um, the, the concept of chew the cud came from cows. And they, they would eat. I tried to do my impersonation of a cow in first service. That didn't go over well. But they, they would eat grass and just, y'all ever walk by? Yeah, see that? See what I mean? Didn't go over well. And they just, they just chew the cud, just chew. And I don't, I don't know if this is real. So if you're a farmer, let me know. But the study I did said that there was a couple reasons that cows chew the cud. One is they like to savor the taste. Made me think about steak. Sorry, vegans. I know y'all, you can have a cauliflower steak after service, you're good to go. But you have a good steak and you just put it, you know, you put a good steak in your mouth and you're like, ah, just, mm, just marinate. Another, ver- another reason for doing that, they said it was easier for them to digest. So this, so, I mean, think about it. God's thinking ahead, y'all, for this, for us, going, when you and I chew the cud of the word, when we meditate on the word, we're taking it in and we're savoring it. You ever read a verse and sat back and went, Spirit of God, what does that mean? Savoring. You can't do that if you're trying to hurry up and get your daily check. That's what I mean. Chewing it up so that it's easier to digest. Who said it? Why'd they say it? When'd they say it? What was the purpose of it? You're chewing it so you digest so that it can really transform your life. And this is what he's talking about when he says, meditate on the word day and night. Don't just, we've gotten to a place where we just, we post a verse of the day or we skim through a devotional. And because life is busy, we justify it and make ourselves feel like we've had our quiet time. But we haven't. We haven't meditated in the word of God. We haven't been able to really sit in it and find the healing that the word of God does, find the provision that the word of God gives, find the direction and the, and the revelation that the spirit of God's trying to tell us in that scripture. Because when you meditate in the word, you are sitting in his presence. Think about that. Sometimes God can't catch up with some of us. I want to sit down with you, but you read one verse and keep going. But if you have to sit down and meditate, I get you. I can come sit down with you. There's something that happens in our lives when you and I meditate in the Word. When that study said that a lot of people, the reason, the excuse they used for stopping reading the Bible was that it wasn't transforming their life the way they hoped it would, I would love to sit down with them and say, how long did you meditate on it? One of my favorite movies is Hitch, Will Smith. Y'all seen that movie? And he, he gets um, allergic to something, and his ear swells up, and his face swells up, and he runs in the drugstore, and he gets whatever the, the Robitussin or whatever it is, you know, and, and he drinks it, and he, he, and he goes, come on! Like, work! And I think that's sometimes how we use Scripture. My marriage is falling about, uh, come on, work! <laughs> Versus being in it every day, meditating in it every day. I've shared this with you before, but I'm going to share it with you again, because our church is growing, there's new people every week. One of, my, one of my favorite things about having a daily quiet time with the Lord is never do I have to worry about, am I only going to him when I need something? I never have to worry about that because if I'm with him every day, there's days 
anything. There's days I'm with him and I haven't asked for something in a long time. But guess what? There's a day coming. And when it comes, it's already routine for me. See what I mean? Meditating in it day and night. There was another study done on the impact of reading scripture daily. And, and they, they got a group of people and they had people who had read the Bible zero times a week, people who read the Bible one time, two times, three times, and then four times or more. So that's your categories. Zero, one, two, three, and then four more. And through this study, and this is very interesting to me, that the people who had read the Bible three times, two times, or one time a week had the same impact that those who had read it zero times a week. That was interesting. And listen, if you read your Bible three times a week, you're doing better than most people keep doing it. Don't let this discourage you. But I'm just bringing revelation to you that they were saying that someone who does it once, twice, or here and there was having the same transformational impact as somebody who didn't read it at all. But they said the interesting shift in the study that is once they got to people who, had, who were doing it four times or more, and I don't know if that's because, you know, four is, is more than half a week. I, I don't really know what that means. But they said certain things started to change. And here were some of the studies. The studies showed that loneliness was down by 30%. So people who read their Bible four times a week or more, their loneliness was down 30%. Bitterness was down 43%. Anger down 32%. Alcoholism, down 42%. Pornography, down 60%. And then watch this. Witnessing, generosity, and love for others all went up. Isn't that interesting? Uh, statistics are showing us what the Bible has been telling us all along. That if you and I will daily meditate in the word, we will be successful, prosperous, and blessed. That the things that are killing us in our culture will no longer have victory over us. That we're out there going, why do I feel lonely and why do I feel tempted and why do I keep in this cycle where I fail and then I fail and then I fail? And the whole time God's going, my solution is already out there. My promise for you to succeed is already out there. The promise for you to have greater finances, to have a greater marriage, to have a greater mental state, it's already out there. You just need to read my word and do what it says. Do what it says. So let's go back to James chapter 1 for a second because he says something. He compares the Bible to something that was very interesting to me. He says, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a what? In a mirror. And then after, okay, so let's, let's go there for a second, all right? Let's imagine that I've got this, you know, full standing mirror in front of me. And he says, any man who goes to the mirror and looks at himself and then walks away from the mirror and forgets what he looked like. That's strange. What, what he's saying is that a mirror <laughs> is only worth its two cents if whatever revelation it brings, you follow through with. If, if you look at it, but then it doesn't change what you do, then what good is it, Right? So then I started going deeper, and I'm like, no, nah, there's even more to that, because I've had different thoughts before, like, you can look in the Word and see your reflection, and that's what a mirror, I've done all these things, and those are all great, but I went deeper and deeper and deeper, I'm like, what, what is a mirror really for? Because if James is so passionate about comparing a Bible to a mirror, what, what do you and I in our daily life use a mirror for? I don't know how many of you have mirrors. We have more mirrors than we have pillows in our house, all right? Mirrors are everywhere. It's just everywhere. And I've kind of found out that we use them for kind of the three same things. Number one is this, out of a mirror, there's certification. 
I'm certified. In other words, it affirms my identity. It is, in fact, that's what I look like. That's who I am. Could you imagine living in a day where we didn't have mirrors? Where you had no idea what the woman did at the barbershop or the salon? You know what I mean? Like, like that's, that's the number one point of the mirror is that you and I look into a mirror and our identities are affirmed, okay? Number two is this. We use a, a mirror for correction. We look in the mirror and go, oh man, this outfit is terrible. <laughs> Let's change that. We look in the mirror and go, oh, I got lettuce in my teeth. Let's get that out. We look in the mirror and go, oh, my, my hair is out of place. Let's, let's fix that. We see something in the mirror that needs to be fixed, and then we fix it. And how silly would it be of us to look in the mirror and go, that outfit is terrible. There's lettuce in my teeth, and my hair is sticking up, but I'm good. I mean, if you, you know, we go to Walmart, we see people all the time that we wonder what, if they even have a mirror. You know what I mean? It's like, what's happening? And then watch this. Number three is, is confidence, courage that now you feel like you're ready to go do what it is you're supposed to do. I don't know if, if y'all did this, so if you didn't, I, I'm very embarrassed. But, but before I came to church today, I looked in the mirror because I understand that I'm gonna be standing in front of people and I don't want to look like a fool. And so I'm looking in the mirror to be able to see, am I ready to go do what God's calling me to do? So in a mirror, it affirms my identity it helps me realize the areas of my life I need to change. And it gives me the courage that I'm ready to go do what I'm about to do. That's why he compares it to the Bible. Because the first thing the Bible does is it affirms your identity in God. It certifies who you are. It tells you how God sees you. It talks about his grace and his mercy and his love and his purpose. It affirms you. If you're in this place and you're struggling with the affirmation, I would tell you the answer to your affirmation is not your loved one, it's not Facebook, it's the Word of God. He affirms us in a way that we don't even know we needed to be affirmed. Second, watch this, is the Bible is for correction. Second Timothy says this. It says the Bible is for reproof so that you and I can read it and assess ourselves and go, God, help me change these areas of our life. It's so that we can look at it and go, you know what? My marriage is struggling, but maybe it's me. And be able to look at it and know the areas in which I need to change. And so again, James is saying, don't look at that, recognize it, and then walk away without doing anything. But see it, realize it, and then ask the Spirit of God to help you. And then third, watch this. Reading the Word is giving you and I the certainty and the courage and the confidence that we can do what God has called us to do. So when you tell me that, it makes perfect sense to me that the secret to greater in my life is consistently reading the Bible and doing what it says. If I consistently read the Bible and do what it says, I will be affirmed. If I consistently read the Bible and do what it says, God will reveal the areas of my life that need change and he'll help me change them. And if I read the Bible and do what it says, I will be given courage and confidence to walk out and do the greater that God has called me to do. So let me ask you a question. Would you say in our culture today, people lack affirmation of identity? I would say that's one of our biggest struggles right now. 
is that our culture is trying to figure out we're so struggling with our identity that we're making up identities because we don't know our identity. Second question, would you say that our culture is struggling with the ability to be corrected? You correct me, I'll cancel you. You know what I mean? Like it's just, I won't, I'll get off that soapbox over. <laughs> Lastly, would you say that our culture is struggling with the courage to do better and greater things than they can do in their natural ability? Now watch this. Isn't it interesting that the three things that the Bible affirms in us are lacking now that we have stopped reading the Bible? It's not a coincidence, y'all. I'm not saying that we won't always struggle with stuff. We're human. But I'm telling you that if we think it's just by happenstance that identity and confidence and correction have started to disappear from our country, and we don't think it has anything to do with the fact that 26 million people stopped reading the Bible, it matters. It matters for you and it matters for me. Listen to me, if you value your relationships, you'll read the Bible and do what it says. If, if you value your family, you'll read the Bible and do what it says. If you value a financially healthy life, you'll read the Bible and do what it says. If you value your peace, if you value your joy, if you value your dreams, you will start reading the Bible and do what it says. So here's my challenge to us as a church. Every year we do a 21-day fast. And in the past, I've kind of left it up to you to kind of pick and do whatever you want to do. And if, if there was something the Spirit of God has been laying on your heart to fast food for, social media, by all means, still do that. But here's what I'm asking our entire church to do together. To spend time over the next 21 days, to fast time in every day to study the Bible. And you say, man, that sounds very simple and very duh and I wish it was, but it's not happening that way. And so here's what I want us to do. When you leave on, that, on the um, announcement board that Emily's made, there's a few uh, eight by 10 sheets around. There's a QR code for a Bible app called the Bible Engagement Project. I want you to download that app, it's free of cost. There's a couple reasons you're gonna do that. One is it has age-specific devotions. Because if you're in here and you have children, I want you to do your fasting devotional time with your kids. You should have a private quiet time anyway. And then you should purposely fast and spend time with your kids during these next 21 days. Because anything we do for 21 days supposedly becomes a habit, right? And so if you have young kids, if you have older kids, you can pick these devotions by age so that, so that you don't lose them. And so, you know, I would choose, I would tell you probably do it around dinner, get your family around the table and do a quick time in the word. Do that for 21 days straight and don't skip Sunday because you went to church. It's important. There's another great thing about it because if, if you're in here and you're married or you're in a, you have a significant relationship, I want you to do that fasting with them. So you're with your kids, you're with your significant other, but if you're single, listen to me, in this app, there is a way, and anybody in this church that has this app, you can group up with them into a chat and you can be reading the same scriptures. Let's just say it's Romans chapter one. You can be reading Romans chapter one and you can chat with each other on the app. Me and Tay started this before Christmas. We were reading something together and you can just, you know, so he'll message something and I'll be walking and I just, boom, look at it. And he's messaged me on the app. So you can find people that you love and hang out with at church and say, hey, let's get on this. And there's accountability. And so all across the board in our church, 
We should be seeing families sitting down together, uh, uh, you know, husbands and wives sitting down together, people getting together in chat groups and studying the Word of God for 21 days. And I guarantee you that if we will do this, we will begin to see every aspect of our life as greater. Guaranteed. Amen? Do me a favor. Would you stand with me this morning? This is my cry to you. Next week, we're going to talk through the biggest enemies to you and I experiencing greater in our life. On the 21st, I'm going to ask you to really pray and talk through what is it that God's, what it is that you're wanting God to do greater in your life. But I believe it. I believe it. And listen, y'all, this isn't something that I'm just saying to you because it goes along with the job. This is one area of my life I've never once hesitated to preach to people because I live it. I live it. And there's been nothing that has changed my life like every day meditating in the Word of God. Some of y'all, you've heard me tell this story, but when Darla and I were young in our marriage, we were young and stupid and we had some unhealthy seasons. We have the best married life ever now, right? We're the best, right? Okay. <laughs> she ain't say nothing, so I have to have, go to lunch together after church. Um, but this was a funny deal because I would, she knew I would, y'all heard me say this, I'd walk the track at the YMCA and pray and um, when there was something she felt like needed to be worked on and changed, she would not come and talk to me about it. She would go and pray and ask God. And she would say, you know where he is right now, and he's, you, he's got, you've got his ear, he's got your ear, talk to him. And I would come home, I'd be like, babe, I think we need to work on this. And she'd be like, oh, really? And I could tell you moments and moments, y'all could talk about how that time in the Word got me through 2020. I could, ha- I could tell you how the only reason we're standing in this building right now is because of that time in the Word. Because on my daily reading, I switched the Bible over and it said, Paul moves to Antioch. Because God said, if you will read my word and do what it says, then every promise I've given you for your marriage, for your finances, for your peace, for your hope, for your joys, for your dreams, will be greater. Can I pray over you, Father, right now? Everybody close your eyes. I ask for everybody in this place that they would be moved by your Holy Spirit. That they would see this as priority. There are people in this room with a wide range of struggles and difficulties, hardships, and every one of those your word has an answer for. But how can we live in that promise if we've never read it? And so I pray for every couple, for every parent, for every single person, that as they walk out of here today, they'd be moved by your presence to make a commitment to this, that for 21 days, they would fast time to be in your word. I pray against distractions, excuses. I pray against the enemy because there's nothing he hates worse than for us to get into your word. So right now we just pray for strength. Come on, in your own way, 
You know your hesitations. You know your restrictions. Just begin to ask them. Say, God, give me strength. God, help me over the next 21 days to be committed to your word, to be able to experience the change in my life that your word promises so that I could experience greater. And right now, just begin to talk to him about the area of life. Father, I want you to be greater in this. I want to experience greater in this. Begin to tell him. He knows that you know. Ask him right now for your strength, for his strength, for his wisdom, for his dedication, for his help in this commitment, Father. Thank you, Jesus.